This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books, with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. My guest today is my dear friend, John Barklow. Now, we've known each other for creeping up on 25 years now. I met him in 1997 when I first crossed the quarterdeck at SEAL Team 5, where he was a diver attached to that command. He spent 20 years in the United States Navy, most of that time attached to Naval Special Warfare. He then went to our cold weather warfare training facility in Kodiak, Alaska, where he helped develop a lot of the gear and tactics that are still used today. Uh, he is now the big game product manager at Sitka Gear, which is uh, which fires me up because I've known Jonathan Hart, who started Sitka since we were 13 years old. To see that, So to see that company go from inception to where it is today uh, is absolutely fantastic. And to have, ha- to have John Barklow there attached is, uh, man, that's just awesome. So if you like our conversation, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review help counter some of these big tech algorithms. And now, without further ado, my friend, John Barclay. You know, before, yeah, before we get into, I guess, how, uh, how we met and, and all the rest of that, and then into, uh, Naval Special Warfare and into Kodiak and into, uh, all that stuff. Um, did you grow up doing all this awesome stuff? I don't think I've ever asked you that before. You just kind of, you know, I showed up as a new guy at SEAL Team 5 and you're there and you're already awesome rock climbing and backcountry skiing and do all, all this, all this stuff and have all these skill sets. And I don't even think I ever really asked you in all the years we've known each other. Did you grow up doing all that stuff? Did you have a base growing up going into the backcountry and all that sort of thing? When did that start for you? No, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio and nobody in my family did anything. They didn't. They didn't, uh, they didn't do any type of hunting. They didn't climb, they didn't ski anything. And I didn't know anybody who did. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, I so enjoy helping other people now is because I didn't have that. I didn't have those mentors, um, long, long time of school of hard knocks of, you know, lost opportunities. And I mean, I enjoyed every bit of it, made every mistake in the book, probably three times over, um, but no, I didn't, I didn't grow. I mean, I, I did some of those things, but you know, I remember literally, I remember throwing a bunch of Dinty Moore stew and some, you know, ravioli in a backpack and, and going out into the woods with the map and compass that I didn't know how to use and, and just wandering around out there for three days, you know, and making a fire and putting the can on there. And like, that's literally where it all started. But I've been similar to you in the sense that I've been very fortunate that I've known exactly what I wanted to do for the most part. And, and I just say, I'm literally anymore. Like I, I am, I have, and am living my childhood dreams. And awesome. so, you know, I just got lucky. I just got lucky. Dude, I love that. So, so you were, what did you do before you joined the military? Did you, uh, were you doing some of this stuff starting, but besides the one trip that you, you just mentioned, were you doing some of these other things before you went to boot camp? And did you go in, uh, to be a diver? How did that, that work out that path? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. So really, no, I didn't do a lot of this. I mean, I was, uh, you know, a three sport athlete in high school, um, you know, starting on the varsity as a sophomore, had a couple surgeries, uh, working jobs, uh, you know, after work and at night, um, you know, to help my mom out. So really a lot of that kind of had to fall by the wayside, but, uh, you know, ultimately I tried to get into the Naval Academy one year. Okay. Um, that certainly wasn't going to work. Um, went to Northwestern for a very short period of time to play football, 
realized it, I, my heart, my passion wasn't there. I always wanted to go in the military. My, my father was in the Navy for a while as an officer um, and always instilled this sense of patriotism and service. And, and when I was really honest with myself, like all I wanted to do was go in the military, serve my country. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted adventure. I wanted adventure. And, you know, I'd grown up with like, you know, the, uh, the Johnny quest cartoons, you know, and the GI Joe figures and, yeah. you know, the, the frogman and the seals and all that, they were just yeah. kind of, when you're a kid, I mean, you're talking, I mean, I'm talking early mid eighties back then. So mm-hmm. very little information. I just knew I wanted to go do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it w- was kind of a toss up between the Marine Corps and the Navy, but I just loved the ocean and that aspect of it. And, uh, and, and so ultimately when I kind of, kind of got my stuff together, uh, went down to the recruiter two weeks later, I was, I was off the boot camp. So okay. what, what do you think drew yeah. you towards the ocean? What was that? What was the draw? You know, I, I don't really know. I, I think part of it was my dad, he was stationed down in Pensacola. Um, you know, he did some diving way back in the sixties, a oh, wow. little bit of Marine biology. Um, you know, of course, uh, you know, reading Clive Custler novels, right. When you're a kid, big time. I mean, it, it's got such a big impact. Mm-hmm. At least it did on, on, on my oh, youth. Yeah. Um, that, that I just needed that in my life. I wanted that. I, there was no question once, once I was honest with myself that that's, that is the direction I wanted to go. I didn't know exactly all the details, but, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And as soon as I did it, I was, uh, I was a happy guy. Yeah. No, it's interesting. You yeah. Cla- mentioned Clive Klessler. I get to uh, meet him before he passed away. Um, amazing guy. I've been reading his books for forever. And so did John Hart, who started Sitka, of course. So yeah. uh, before I went in the Navy and before he started Sitka, uh, we were reading those books and we were taking our rescue diver classes and our dive master courses and all that stuff. Cause I was prepping for the Navy and he was prepping to go into, uh, uh, to go, he went to someplace in the South Pacific to do. Oh, he was a treasure hunter. <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. And I would have gone with him if I wasn't going into the Navy, uh, but yeah. it was a total, you know, Dirk Pitt, Clive Cussler adventure that he was going on uh, down there. And I would have 100% Absolutely. been going with him had I not uh, been going to boot camp. But uh, yeah, Clive Cussler novels, man, those things. I mean, gosh, I think he had one a year. He's one of the first authors to write one book a year because uh, there was him. Stephen King started doing it. And then it didn't really become the thing that you did with a serious character until the late 90s. Uh, okay. with Vince Flynn and Brad Thor and Daniel Silva. And then it became kind of normal. But back when he was doing it, it wasn't normal. It was like, you wrote a book and then maybe it'd be two years, maybe it'd be two and a half years till the next one came out. But with him, bam, he was doing one a year. And yeah. uh, I think Raise the Titanic, which people think was his first book. It was not his first book, but um, I think that's the first time that seals are mentioned in fiction, which is uh, oh, really? kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But uh, so so you go down there, you head to boot camp, and are you on the whatever version of the dive fair program was going on. Yeah, Did you so know was, you were going to be a diver? Yeah, it was still called the dive fair program. Nice. Um, that, yeah, eight, 88 is when I enlisted. So um, had to take a, a two-month stop right there in Pensacola. I uh, went down to Orlando. Had to go to Pensacola for two, uh, two months of photography training. Oh, yeah, because you had to have and, a source rating. Well, yeah, and here's the answer. Yeah, back then, I mean... It, it, things changed so quickly, but, uh, but it was so funny cause I picked it cause I said, what's the shortest. Cause I didn't know about, it. I had to pick a school. I said, what's the shortest school I could go to? And they said, well, photography school. I'm like, well, I'll take that. And they're like, nobody gets it. It's too hard to get. And, uh, and the funny thing was I had almost failed, uh, photography in high school as a senior. That's another story. 
anyways, I go there and all of a sudden there's all these guys and I won't mention their names. Some of them are still on active duty, but you know, a lot of them from the community, um, who they all did the same thing. They like, they yeah. wanted to get the buds. They wanted to get the dive school and all they wanted to do is get the shortest school. And I still keep in touch with a bunch of them. The funny thing was I almost fail photography school in high school <laughs> and I graduated as honor man, honor man. <laughs> from, from the Navy. Wow. And I don't know what that tells a, us about the military. No, it, well, it's a funny story. <laughs> it's all about playing the, playing this, playing the game, right. Working the system. And anyways, yeah. So, uh, and then, and then uh, right to dive school down the road in Panama City. And uh, how is that? Is that like, is it a lot of the, is it the um, pool comp type stuff that you have to do there? Just like a uh, second phase, a buds type thing or yeah, what's, uh, was, what's that school like? And what's the, what's the attrition rate like? Well, so it, it was interesting. I don't think the attrition was very high. I mean, I, I, I do remember some people flunking more from academics than, than the, uh, than the physical, but you know, and isn't it funny when you think back on things and you're like, that, that couldn't have been true because in comparison to today, it's so much different. And you're like, did that really happen? But, um, but I, and I, I won't remember the year, but let's just say 99, I went through second phase with some FBI HRT guys. Oh, nice. And so I got to compare and contrast and yeah, back in 88, uh, it was a couple months long and there was a week of pool comp. Um, and, and there was lots of rolling around in sand and lots of ocean swims and not, not buds, but, but much different than what it became later on. Um, and you know, I had already had my scuba qual and yeah. I just felt, I mean, I don't know. I just felt comfortable in the water. So that, that I breezed through, through second all that buds. for the most part. Uh, well, at, at dive school, at dive yeah, school. Se se second class dive school. Yeah. I mean, second phase, that was easy too. Cause I didn't have to clean my room or any of that, but, uh, you know, all the things that actually makes it really hard, but, uh, but yeah, but, but, you know, the other thing is, um, so I, I wanted to go to San Diego for forever. You know, you grew up in the Midwest, you want to go to the beach. I want to go to San Diego. So I put San Diego three times on my kind of wish list. <laughs> I ended up in the Philippines. That's how it goes. Yeah. And the thing is though, that I didn't realize like, all right, the time, tough guy. All right, smart yeah. guy. Three San Diego's guess where you're going. Yep. Yeah. But that literally set the course for the rest of my life. Like that, that command, the people that were there, the way it was structured, um, the things I got to do kind of forward deployed out in the Pacific. Like it just set my mindset and my attitude for the rest of how the military I felt should be and how leadership should work. Um, that, it, you know, it, I've just never looked back from that. It was, uh, you know, mostly, so it was mostly Vietnam vets. So you have to think maybe this is early 89. Uh, a lot of those guys were at the end of their careers. They were cycling back through the Philippines. They wanted one more tour, right? One more shot at, at the title there in the Philippines. Um, most of the gear was still Vietnam era, just the way everything worked. Um, you know, I remember the platoon cycling through there. That used to be a place that, that guys would go. Um, but, but, it, you know, it was just a different, it was just a different, uh, I don't want to say different military, but just a different way of looking at the military, just that kind of forward deployed nature of it. Um, very small, very small dive locker. I think me and another guy were the only two people who weren't, uh, E six or above. And, okay. they, and we were like E threes or something like that. So that's pretty cool um, as an E three. So you're like. 19 years old, something like that. Uh, I was probably 20 at the time. Yeah, I was 20 at the time because I turned 20 21 in the over Philippines. there. 
Yeah. Everybody who's listening probably remembers Officer and a Gentleman. Remember his flashbacks to being a kid in the Philippines? Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. movie. His dad's a Navy guy, and he's over there in the Philippines uh, getting his yeah. first tattoo and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, we, w- oh, we won't go into any of those stories, but I'll, <laughs> I'll just say that uh, we, we worked a lot. We, we were diving yeah. six days a week. It was all scuba. It was just a really unique place. And I came out of there, and I forget, I wished I could have access to the database anymore, but I literally came out of there with months of accumulative bottom time. Like if yeah. you were to add it up, we were right. diving six days a week, six, eight hours a day. Quite frankly, statute limitations up. We were like exceeding all the dive tables. Uh, we were treating all these uh, nationals from all over the Pacific in the one chamber, one oh, recompression wow. chamber. Um, you know, guys dying, cardiac arrest, guys coming back to life at, at, at depth on oxygen, just crazy, Jeez. crazy stuff. It was an amazing two years. But like I said, it's set. I mean, I met my wife there, but it set the course for the rest of my life, let alone my military career. So everything else is, has kind of been downhill since then. <laughs> no way. Well, that's amazing. You had a, a wonderful, such a wonderful experience, especially yeah. having put down San Diego three times. Now you're going to right, this, right. It's called the Philippines. What's going on there? I had no and, idea where it was. <laughs> and what, what was it? Was Guam uh, unit one at the time, were there units at the time? And was this a specific dive command or was it part of like, what, what command was it that you were attached to in the Philippines? Yeah, at that so time? It was a, it was a specific dive command and I couldn't honestly, I don't know the name of the, the bigger command. We were tucked into this little bay. We were on one side. Our, our dive locker was on one side, Vietnam era dive locker. And then directly across was where the, uh, you know, the, the teams would deploy, that was the unit, that unit moved to Guam. So if that was unit one, then that was Mm -hmm. still probably unit one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they had the old PBRs, like they had all, I'm telling you, it was, it was really crazy. I mean, everybody walked around in jungle boots and greens and it it was pretty wild, but we were just tucked into this little part of the base and we were on one side of the little inlet and they were on the other. And, uh, yeah. And that's, what were you diving on back then? Were you doing stuff on ships? Like, like what, what, what does a diver do in the Philippines at that time uh, in the military? Yeah. So because we were kind of, I don't want to say forward deploy, but, but out there in the Pacific, yeah. um, that these ships on Westpac and things, they would come in, they'd have, a, they'd have some damage or they'd have an issue. I forget one of the ships. I, I wish I could remember. That's why your history is so, so good uh, that you post. But one of the ships came in that had hit a mine out in the Gulf Whoa! and, and they had had some people die. And we, we dove on that and did the battle damage assessment on that. Um, uh, if, if, uh, nuclear subs came in because it was, I forget what they considered it because it wasn't like a home port. It was still uh-huh. kind of like they had to have security swims whenever they came okay. in, they had to have security swims when they left. Um, we'd occasionally go and dive on, you know, one of the carriers, uh, you know, the midway, not the midway, but, uh, oh, geez, I'm not going to forget, but some of the carriers yeah. from Vietnam were still in service back then. And, uh, anyway, so we just did stuff like that. A lot of body recoveries, uh, yeah. a couple helicopter crashes, yeah. uh, that we went and worked on, but I mean, we hit, we had more work than, than we knew what to do with. Dang. Um, and I just assumed it was like that everywhere, you know, right. you um, remember what which, mine which that wasn't. ship hit? Was it like, just an old mine that was floating around from I don't know, years past that just happened to break loose from some harbor somewhere that was mined. Like, is it a, like, what kind of a mine did that thing hit? You, you know, I, I wished I could remember Jack. And honestly, uh, I, I've, I've tried to go back and find what that was. And yeah. then honestly, I, you know, get distracted with something, but, um, I, I don't want to tell you it was necessarily a, a 
terrorist incident. I don't think it was one of the many that kind of led up to 9-11. Um, but I'm not saying it couldn't have been. I just don't, I just yeah. don't remember, but I do remember the ship coming in and it was, it, it was pretty, pretty obvious because there was a lot of damage above the waterline, but then obviously there's damage below the waterline, you know? Yeah. Cause there's like, there are places around the world that have been heavily mined and then abandoned yeah. and no one knows where those mines are. And they're well, all the Gulf. Yeah. The Gulf's one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, exactly. So there's all sorts of these different organizations that go out there and, you know, want to protect, get behind these mines so the kids don't stumble across them playing soccer right. and blow themselves up and that sort of thing. But same thing with, uh, with mines that are, are meant to be in harbors at sea in the water. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are still mines out there that are broken away or whatever else that are out there. And every now and again, I think somebody runs into one or finds one anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. It has to be uh decommissioned and taken out of the, out of the ocean. That's wild. So then your second one, do you, and the, the, as you're going along this path, um, do you go to a more advanced dive school after this? And then where do you start getting into the backcountry skiing and the rock climbing and, and all those things that are still so much a part of your, your life today? What happens after that first, um, deployment or first command actually? Yeah. Please. Yeah. So, so, so after that, uh, yeah, I went to first class dive school back to Florida, uh, got married. To, what do you to learn at first class dive school? What's different? Uh, you know, so back then we actually learned underwater demo, if you can believe wow. that. Uh, and it was basically, uh, demo underwater demolition, mixed gas diving. So deep okay. mixed gas diving, and then how to become more of a supervisor as opposed okay. to the person in the water. You're, you're yeah. kind of more of that supervisory role. So I don't know, that was another couple months and, and, uh, did that. And then the, the one, just the one little dip in my whole 20 years of active and six years, uh, additional with the Navy is I went to this, this, uh, salvage command in, in, huh. uh, in Virginia beach. Okay. And it was right across. I mean, literally right across the street from seal team two yeah, and yeah. where the, and where the pool is and all that. Sure. Yeah. I know exactly. And, uh, about. it was, uh, it, you know, it was a miserable two weeks and, you know, <laughs> or a two years and I almost got out. I, really? I met some really good people that eventually, you know, ended up going to buds and stuff. Anyways, long story short, was it bad uh, because of the leadership or because of the job? What you had, to uh, do the, the leadership, if, yeah. if I was on the road doing salvage up and down the, the East coast, I mean, it would have been just fine, you know, yeah. but, uh, but the, the leadership was just horrible. So, uh, but anyways, I get this call from literally right across the street at the pool. And, uh, my wife was a Navy reservist at the time. And she overheard the, the commander saying that he needed a diver to replace a guy that had just gotten a DUI on his, on his transfer orders. Mm-hmm. And literally within two weeks, I was working for Naval Special Warfare and I never left for 20 years. That's amazing. And, and when I moved across the street to the pool, we started doing, uh, we started teaching lock-in lockouts from the, from the escape trunk they had there, wow. uh, free swimmer ascents. We taught, um, you know, dive soup and dive, uh, the, the repair. And we were teaching, uh, we were actually teaching, it was the one place outside of Coronado you could teach uh, guys to dive dragger. So we taught a lot of PJs, how to dive dragger. Uh, yeah, it was really weird back then what you could do, but anyways, that's when I really started getting into the climbing, not so much the skiing, although a little bit of skiing, but really got involved with the climbing. Uh, you know, some guys at the command climbed, I met some friends who ended up being, you know, just civilians that happened to be like mountain guide types. And I mean, just every weekend, that's, I really started to like 
live my dream again after I'd left that one command and got with a lot of like-minded people. You know, the one thing that, that I always say I, I appreciate about Naval Special Warfare, and I think it's what makes the community as a whole as, as strong as it is and capable as it is, because if you have something to contribute, they will take it. If you say, hey, I, I can do this, I can contribute, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do. If you can do it, if you have something to contribute that they need, um, you are able to, to do that. So anyways, it, it was just great. And uh, so I did that for a couple of years, did some ultra marathon running and some adventure races and <laughs> yeah, a didn't lot you leave, of Did you do the raid? What did you do? Uh, the eco challenge in British challenge. Columbia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In British Columbia. And, and so that, that like all these things are starting to open up my, my eyes to the possibilities, like the mountains and the bigger mountains. And, you know, I mean, we were doing some climbing, but not what I wanted to. And so the, you know, there was a trip to Yosemite there and a trip to Red Rocks in Nevada. And I was like, I've got to get back to the West coast. I, I still want to get to San Diego. I still haven't been to San Diego yet. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so those guys said, Hey, you know, anywhere you want to go, uh, that we can get you, you know, we'll try to do it. And I said, I want to, I want to go to a team on the West coast. And, uh, and, and I ended up at five in, uh, in early 97. Oh, wow. And, so you got there uh, just before I did then. Yeah. And then, there and, then, and then everything actually just like had passport on it and my, my career and like all this stuff we're talking about just accelerated once I was on the West coast. Cause then you're going to Joshua you know, tree, mountains. you're going all oh, these man, places. The mountains were bigger yeah. and like they were iconic places. And you know, now I could really get into backcountry skiing. I took trips to Alaska, you know, on my own. Um, yeah. I mean, I love the job. The, yeah. the, the job was awesome there as well. It was, uh, there was not a lot of free time between that and, uh, you know, doing what I was trying to do on the weekends, but yeah, but, it was but, cool. But, you take guys, people might not know you take the, like new guys. We showed up and, uh, I, had, I remember I went to a, a school, I forget what it was. I was comm school or something like that, but just on your own, you're taking like Nick Hawks, who now does paleo treats. Yeah. You know, we're in this first platoon. You guys are climbing in Joshua tree and he comes back and they're all talking about you and, and that, what an awesome trip that was and, and everything like that. So it was so cool. I mean, you contributed so much to that command that was not part of your job description. You know, well, that, and, and so that goes back to if, if you have a skill to contribute and that's something that they want then, you know, NSW will hear you out. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd say the one thing that I did, uh, with, with the climbing and, and some of the training I did kind of off my, uh, standard duties, but also with my diving and you probably don't know some of this, but, um, but I was always willing, I was, I was confident enough in my skills. And, and like I said, I'd learned in that first command from these Vietnam era guys who were senior chiefs and master chiefs. Now, you know, that, listen, you know what you're doing. You, you know, the rules because you know, the rules, you can kind of bend them to, to fit the, the situation. I was willing to, I was willing to do things quite frankly, that other people weren't because they were afraid it was going to be career ending. Um, not because we were doing something illegal, but because they were, nobody had done them before they weren't written down. And, and that's why I started, you know, souping all these, uh, you know, dragger dives and stuff. And, uh, some of our mutual friends, you know, they wanted to do some things that, that hadn't been done before or that nobody could find in the, in the manual. And I'm like, listen, it, it, as far as I can tell, we're meeting all the criteria of safety. We're going to push the limits, but I'm totally fine with that. So, you know, kind of that culmination for this, you know, this little tale is uh, Dreger dives to the cliffs at San Clemente, uh, 
coming off bag and and rock climbing out of the water, setting cave and ladders and and doing a cliff assault that way. Awesome. Um, and, and you know that just was one of those things. You're like, how you like we climb ships, but do we climb this? And like, how do we do that? And what's the safety? And you have sharp things, and they're around. You know, life vests, and it's like, ah, eh, you know. I mean, if we don't try it now, then we'll never, we'll never know if it's going to work, you know? And, uh, I think that attitude of not only confidence, but like, listen, I know the rules. I, I, I know we can pull this off and, and we'll do everything we can to mitigate the risk. But at the end of the day, we're going to train hard. And, uh, you know, if things happen, then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay standing in front of the man, so to speak, and, mm-hmm. and answering for that. Um, the, the culmination I would say of the climbing was when, uh, we went to Yosemite and we had free reign of the park, uh, because one of the guys at five who you may know, uh, he was used to be a ranger there. Okay. And so he got us into the park and I mean, we were doing, you know, climbing at night on nods, fully kitted out weapons, like everything you couldn't do unless you kind of had the Willy Wonka golden ticket. Yeah. And, uh, I remember rolling up, we, we patrolled up to this one climb in the middle of the night, we'd climbed it during the day to kind of, you know, make sure we kind of knew what we were doing. We patrol in at night and there's a, <laughs> there's a guy and a gal at the base of this climb. They don't, you know, I mean, I'm yeah. sure they knew it was a climb, but they don't, <laughs> and, and we're watching them and they're sitting there smoking weed and they're probably getting ready to fool around. And all of a sudden these, you know, we said, Hey, yeah. And these two guys step out and they're fully kitted out, right? Weapons. And they're like, Hey, uh, could you guys move down the, the cliff a little bit? And I mean, just watching the terror in their eyes was, awesome. was pretty hilarious. But, uh, but yeah, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I, I was willing to do to push the limits of training, um, not knowing what was going to happen. Right. In, in just a few short years, uh, right. kind of after that, you know, that's amazing. I remember going over the beach in, uh, Marina del Rey, LA. And coming out of the water, going over the beach and have it, you know, walking by people in Los Angeles on the beach right there that are, you know, getting after it in their own way. Uh, which yeah. is pretty, you're patrolling by them, you know, weapon full on, you know, all set up in the dry suits and everything. Um, but that was, yeah, pretty interesting. But you know what, what you just said right there, there's a difference between confidence and competence. And yeah. you can have the most confident person out there that has no idea what they're doing. They're just acting apart. And when you see someone who is confident and more importantly, competent, and that's what was so, uh, you know, so, so noticeable about you is that you had that, yes, you were confident, but you were also competent. And, uh, and those two things are different and they're important that they go together Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. rather than just have someone who, who's, oh, I'm super confident. And then everybody, <laughs> uh, it's just, yeah. So you need that comp, that competence piece. And that's what really you exemplified to, to all of us coming in the door there at, uh, at team five as new guys, yeah. which was, yeah, uh, no, I appreciate awesome. that. You know, uh, another thing we did with our, our friend, Mark down there in Salt Lake is, uh, you know, when Mark was still kind of, uh, you know, getting his foot in the community, getting his foot in the door of the community and, and things like this, but we were trying to figure out a way to assault these cliffs, like in Pendleton, right? Yeah. So these steep earth kind of cliffs and, mm-hmm. and really, you know, at, at the time five was focused on Northern Asia. So predominantly, you know, outside of China, it was North Korea. So it's like mm-hmm. trying to find ways to get across these beaches that are a little different. And, uh, but again, you know, doing swimmer ops over the beach, um, swimming in with ice tools and crampons 
and, and ropes and, and then, you know, coming to the beach, setting security. And then guys literally dry tooling up steep earth with ice tools to get awesome. ropes in place to bring everybody else up. And, and these, you know, these were the kind of the things where I was trying to blur the lines, right. Between yeah. like this, I, I can do this water thing for you guys, but I can also kind of do this other thing and we can blur the lines and really like, uh, you know, see what, see what the capabilities could be. Um, you know, that for some of these things, thinking outside the box, right. Which we've all had to do in the last, well, we all had yeah. to do in the last 20 years, right. We yeah. did, we had to think outside the box, yeah, trying exactly. to get to places that, uh, you know, that, that nobody had been, or nobody thought you could, you could possibly be there, be it crossing a river or going through a mountain pass or whatever the case may be, you know, how, how do we do these things? And, and guys like Mark, I give a lot of credit to for helping me expand, you know, my vision of what was possible. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mark Twyde, I have his book right over there. Extreme, uh, alpinism, alpinism. Is over there. Yeah. I read the that. Bible. Yeah. yeah. I read that. Gosh, how many years ago is that? Probably 30 now, maybe 30, 25, like a long time ago, 20, at least, I guess. 20, I at least. Yeah. 20, I'd at say least. 20, at least. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that came out back then, uh, of course the, the freedom of the Hills, I had that, that book, all those volumes from when I was a little kid, I collected all those going along and, and, uh, it's just anything that had something to do with, with mountaineering, um, with, uh, with first aid in the back country, uh, all that. I just have all these tons of old books over there from, from growing up with that, that love of getting into the, getting into the back country. Um, but and it, you gave me some great ideas for my next book, by the way, I'm going to, as soon as we're out done with this podcast, I'm going to jot some things down. Cause I have some, I think I have some over the beach action coming up in this next one. That oh, I'm nice. On now. And, uh, did you ever get to go to Israel by any chance? Because the Israelis flotilla 13, um, they do some interesting things. They don't just have the same LAR five Drager that we had for so long. I don't know if we still have it, you know, with minor modifications here and there. Um, but they have so many different specific, uh, rebreathers for different applications. Uh, so very small ones that you're, you know, that you're wearing coming out of the water and you keep them on doing the mission and come out because they're so small and you're only in the water for a certain huh. amount of time. So they have like five or six different variations of rebreathing systems, um, or underwater breathing apparatuses that allow them to do different missions, whether it's against a, a boat and, or it's against, or you're going over the beach or if you're going over the beach and then going inland for a while, or just going up hitting really quick and getting out like those sorts of things uh, or taking somebody with them, whatever it might be. Interesting. They don't yeah. just have, okay, we have this one thing, this LAR five Drager, which looks very similar to the one that you see in pictures from like 1970, uh, maybe earlier from, from Jacques sure. Cousteau. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> pretty much the same setup. Yeah. Uh, but, and then you're planning this mission around this one kit and its capabilities. Um, um, rather the Israelis are like, well, hey, why don't we change this, this, and this and have multiple different ones for different mission sets, depending on how long you need yeah. to be in the water and what you need to do. So um, I've always really uh, admired them for for that for, for, for that in particular, just because uh, they didn't let a piece of equipment dictate what they could do. They modified it, went out there mm -hmm. and looked at the private sector and told different companies what they needed. And, and they have a, a slew, an arsenal of different rebreathers that they can use for different mission sets, which I think is- well. I mean, that's the unconventional and unconventional warfare, right? Thinking outside the box, being able to do things that nobody else does or thinks you can do. I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of, that's yep. kind of at the foundation of what this all is about. Oh yeah. Being agile, being adaptive. That's what really allowed us to do what we did on the, on the battlefield over the, this last 20 years. But so, so where did the hunting get into this? At what point does that become such a big part of your, of your life? So I, gr I grew up hunting. Um, like I said, nobody in my family did it. But for whatever reason, like I, I was, I was drawn, I was drawn to archery hunting specifically. Mm -hmm. Like I love that they could, you know, wear camo and paint up their faces and like all that stuff that you'd love as a boy. Right. Yeah. 
And, uh, and, and I also love the time of year that I could hunt in Ohio, which is almost two months through September and October. So, you know, I like to say I'm a self-taught archery hunter, uh, that failed miserably, but enjoyed every second of it. Like, you know, never, never, you know, never killed a deer, but spent a lot of time in the woods and just, you know, just absorbed it all. And, uh, so I, I had, you know, hunted a little bit in Virginia beach when I was there, hunt a little bit in California, but really the, the mountains were the big draw to me not understanding that at some point this was all going to come together. Yeah. Right. Like, like I said, moving in a certain direction, but not exactly understanding the details. Uh, you know, so after nine 11, when I got asked to go up to Alaska, uh, and we, you know, kind of went through that first year of just insanity, which I can barely remember. Um, mm -hmm. that's when I said, Hey, I, I am literally again, in this place of childhood dreams in Alaska where Fred bear and all these guys used to go, um, you know, and, and now is my opportunity to kind of, I didn't know how long I'd stay there. You know, now's my opportunity to, to try some of these things. And so that's when, I mean, I went headlong into hunting okay. and, and all of a sudden the, the hunting and the, and the mountaineering and all that started to dovetail together yeah. to become this, you know, mountain hunting thing that, that, uh, you know, that I ended up doing. Yeah. You got to do something very unique. So um, for those listening, we have a cold weather warfare training facility in Kodiak, Alaska, and it was always my favorite trip in Naval Special Warfare was to go up there. Now it's part of the training program. If you come in to be a SEAL, you go to BUDS, you go to SEAL qualification training, and a month of that is going to Kodiak. So everybody has this baseline. Uh, back in the in the 90s or early 2000s, uh, you had to be in a platoon that um, had that was scheduled to go to Kodiak because you might do some things in the mountains or in cold weather. Uh, so I was lucky enough to be a team five and be able to go up there for those trips. And gosh, I just loved it up there. I love Kodiak. I can't wait to, to get back. I can't believe I haven't been back in the last couple of years. I've had a few opportunities and life is just so yeah. busy, but you got to go up there and you got to go all in and your whole I mean, it was your job and it was your passion to do these things. So a lot of the things that we're using today uh, in the military and now in the private sector, the things you do for Sitka, uh, you got to you got to test all these things out. And you had a bunch of people that you could test it out on <laughs> yourself, most importantly, but yeah. uh, you had students coming through. Uh, so you had to get all this feedback from other people other than yourself. And then you got to go out to different uh, uh, different trade shows and talk to different companies and test out different materials and in this place, for those who haven't been to Kodiak, I mean, it is, it is an incredible environment up there. I mean, it's maritime, you're on the water, it's cold, it's damp, it's raining, it's sleeting, it, there's salt water. I mean, it's a tough environment up there. It's a Very great challenging. place to yeah. test gear. Um, yeah. So, and you were up there for, for a while and I got to go back and visit you again and went to your house and saw your bows up there. I mean, you had, <laughs> I, I'd never seen so, somebody with all these different bows for different things. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm falling way behind. Uh, Cause my, my uh, present to myself when I graduated buds was a bow from performance archery. Uh, oh, nice. so I had Bob Frome put it together for me. Yep. And, uh, I still have it today actually. And, uh, and yeah, it's old school, 1997. And uh, uh, so I was always into that from when I was a little kid. And I remember going to the backcountry with my dad. Uh, in the Sierras, right outside of the Marine um, Mountain Warfare Training, what do they call it? Leader, Mount, Marine Mountain Warfare Leadership School, I think they call it. Or uh, Mountain what, Warfare Training Center. Pickle that's Meadows. it. Yep, yep, that's it. Yep. And I remember we were going, we were going in, and I had my frame pack. I think it was a Kelty at the time, a super old school. So this is probably like 1985, maybe even 84. And we're going in, and it's raining out. We're headed in, and this guy's coming out, and he's in. You know, the camo camo from the woodland camo from the time yeah. and he is just face painted up and he has a bow 
and he's walking out and I was like, oh, how could you not want to do that? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So cool. I didn't put it together until years later because there wasn't an internet. You couldn't just go, right. you know, but like Sierra, you know, military. Um, so I didn't really realize what he was. It was obviously from the Marine. I mean, he was definitely a Marine, um, but it was so cool to see that guy just emerge. And of course, that's the time of Red Dawn, of Rambo First Blood Part Two. you know, all these things, Uncommon Valor, you know, I'm watching all these things and I'm what I know I'm going to the military and to see this guy walk out with that bow. Oh man. And I've been a, been just shooting at targets, uh, my whole life. But, uh, but to see him come out of there, uh, obviously a hunter, I was like, oh man, that, there was like nothing cooler than that. This guy is a real thing. Yeah. Out. Yeah. That was, yeah. that was amazing. But, uh, so you're in Kodiak and now hunting and mountaineering converge. Yeah. So, you know, the interesting thing is, um, you know, and I've said this before a few other places, but when nine 11 happened, you know, it, it really took all of us by surprise. Um, because none of us, I think ever thought we'd be fighting in the mountains, high altitude, certainly in Afghanistan. Like not, I don't think we certainly, as far as I know, nobody was training to that capability. Right. Um, and we used to have a very robust cold weather capability in Naval special warfare. I think you were at one of the premier teams, but, but the reality was, um, you know, that institutional knowledge had retired and moved on and all the gear was out of date and nobody really knew how to to kind of do this. So, you know, I was, I was asked, I was one of, uh, I don't know, like 10 people like kind of picked from NSW, uh, you know, me, right. Of all people. And I get asked to go up there two weeks later, I'm on the road with, with Jules driving to Alaska. What did um, she think but, about that by the way, initially? Oh, well, so my, so my wife, so at this point, Jules was in the, uh, the air force reserve. She was a combat photographer. And so she was, she was deploying and flying around. So she's like, oh, hell yeah, let's go to Alaska. Like, no nice. problem. You know, we don't have anything tying us down. No kids, no home. Like, that's kind of the way we've structured our life, or I did, to take advantage of the opportunities as they came to me in the military. Because I mm-hmm. knew that, you know, windows of opportunity open and close. And if you can't move through them quick, then, then they close. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes they never open again. So mm-hmm. we, we got up there and, you know, we, we've, we've all said like the golden connex box opened. Well, I like to say the golden credit card came out as well, because um, basically what we were tasked to do that first year is, uh, you know, we're getting, we're getting after action reports and all kinds of chaos coming in from, from overseas. Um, and, and we needed to not only, you know, build the gear, procure the equipment we needed, um, but also begin to try to write um, some real basic TTPs around some of that and, and some training, right? And, uh, so like you said, people weren't coming up there regularly and, and certainly, uh, they probably wouldn't have, um, if, if, you know, they didn't need this particular thing we were doing. So my, my point is I got to go and work with some of the best designers in the outdoor industry, some of the best companies in the outdoor industry. Um, everybody was very patriotic at the time. And they're just like, listen, anything you need, whatever it is, like, you want to change a color, you want to design something brand new from the ground up. And, and so this is where the beginning of my uh, product development uh, kind of life began, right? Just seeing what it would took to do these things and, 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 and all that. But um, so, so we had that going on, but the interesting thing was then trying to figure out how to create a curriculum to teach somebody, right. not only how to use the equipment, but how to like move around in these austere environments. Um, you know, we've talked already that, you know, we've had many, many years of being out there backpacking around, you know, in my case, maybe bumbling around, making all these mistakes, but, but I was moving in a direction, you know, I had 
I had already climbed some big mountains. I'd already climbed some Alpine routes. I'd already done a bunch of backcountry uh, skiing. You know, um, I'd already worked with Mark and 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 started to figure some of this out because I just reached out to him and said, "Hey, how did you climb the Czech Direct? Like, you you brought all these goo packets. Like, how does that work? Like, what nice. about the stove and fuel? Like, I was already pursuing this kind of right. as a personal interest. Yeah, not understanding that that ultimately this information was going to help. You know. The, the war effort at some point. So anyways, the cool thing was Jack, that not only did I have some skills and experience and I thought I was good, but in reality, I wasn't even close to being good, but this feedback loop now that started to develop where, um, we would take some gear, we would develop something, we would go try it ourselves as, as a cadre. Um, then we would teach a student or a bunch of students. We'd see how that information was digested, what worked, what didn't, how we could reframe or restructure the curriculum and then try it again. And mm -hmm. so this feedback loop is really where I began to learn myself because it wasn't just me and isolation. It was how to communicate ideas, how to communicate, um, you know, mindsets and then see how people, you know, implemented that in the field in very challenging conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then you would start to apply some tactics to it, right? Because we, we did teach a lot of what we'll call basic students, but then we would have people come in from other units and say, hey, we have this particular problem. Can you help us solve it? Or, hey, can we do a little bit more of this that you guys, you know, teach at a basic level? Can you do it at a more advanced level? Or, hey, can you, can you travel to Colorado or Utah or some other place that has the right environment or the right altitude or the right, you know, geography where, you know, we can go and try some of these things. And so, um, that feedback loop was so vital to my own personal learning mm -hmm. um, because it wasn't just me now. It was this collective group, this, this cohesive group, this little ecosystem that we had. Um, and then we would just keep changing stuff and changing stuff out and trying something new and trying it on ourselves and failing and then coming back and doing it again. And, uh, you know, it really, because, you know, the, the, the shackles were off during that time frame, and, yeah. you know, the, the bureaucracy wasn't, what it is today or what it right. even was probably, you know, 10 years after that, we, we, I like to say we, the, the military and special operations were probably 20 years behind of the civilian world and kind of the outdoor industry as yep. far as technology and, and understanding and mindset. I think we surpassed them by at least 10 at that nice. point in time. Um, things have kind of probably leveled up a little bit, but that's because mm -hmm. everybody's pushing now, but at least we've right. kind of come back up to parity. Yeah. Uh, but it was a really big catch-up phase um, for, oh, for yeah. everybody. I remember yeah. getting to scene five and I thought, oh man, when I walk across this quarter deck, that golden Connex box kit is going to open. I'm going to get all this awesome gear. I'm going to get a little pager. It's going to go off in the middle of the night. We're going to go off, do the save the princess op, get home, get back to the bar for beers the next night. Yeah. So I got there, the outdoor gear that they get, well, all the gear they gave us. I mean, we had, you know, the Vietnam era stuff that I was getting at the army surplus store as a kid is the same stuff that I got issued at SEAL Team 5 when I showed up. And then the outdoor gear was just like someone in supply going through and being like, okay, boots. How many people do we need? Okay, those boots look like something they could use. Check. Yeah. Uh, how about this? Oh, a Gore-Tex jacket. Oh, I think we already have one of those. Oh yeah, that's a Woodland Camouflage one. Okay, check. That was like, you know, 30 pounds. Uh, but it was crazy because I had always, as from a, I don't know what it was, just innate in me from when I was a little kid, always looking at gear and always looking at, and 
I grew up in Northern California. So I, so there was a, a community up there of people doing similar things. Uh, and I could go to REI, I could go to North face. I could go, uh, go see people climbing on these different, different mountains and see what they were wearing and then kind of take note of that and go back. And so there was, so I, so I had that from a very early age and I always wanted gear that would allow me to go further and faster into the backcountry. And always in my head, I'm thinking about SEAL teams in the future. That's my, mm-hmm. my goal. So no matter what I was doing in the backcountry, I was always thinking, how does this prepare me for what I'm going to do in the future, even as a, as a little kid. And that gear was just a part of that. Um, yeah. and I got to see that just how the, what I had used with an external frame pack. And then I saw like a, the first Dana designs came out or first one I saw anyway, maybe 86 or 87, somewhere in there. And of course got one of those. And, uh, you know, that was different at the time. And of course people, uh, you know, internal frame packs and it was a big thing. And it was a you know controversy when it came out. Of course, oh, yeah. It's, oh, all, yeah. <laughs> it's all you use unless you're packing out a lot of, you know, a huge animal or something. But, uh, but, it, but gear has always been an important part of, uh, of my life, pre-military, in the military, after the military. But what we got at team five, oh my gosh. And across, I mean, special operations in general was terrible in 1987 and the boots they oh, gave us oh. and sent us to Kodiak with were ridiculous. I mean, yeah. no support in the ankle and you're carrying a hundred at that time, you're carrying like a hundred, especially as a radio guy or an AW guy, you're carrying like 120 pounds worth of stuff after you swim over the beach and stuff. Maybe that, 150. You know, a yep. lot. Yep. And yep. you stuff that dry yep. suit into your bag, you know, and then head up onto the end of the snow. Um, but, uh, the gear was just atrocious. So you're right. We were 20 years behind. Well, and, what was uh, it? Five, I mean, 10 years for sure, but within five years of, of nine yeah. 11, like So we, you know, a lot of us bought our own gear to do our professional jobs because the gear was so inadequate. Um, but then within five years and certainly by now, right nowadays, I mean, they've got, you know, most of the guys have, which I I have no problem with, but they have more stuff than they even understand, right. How to use. And they don't, they don't, if they, if they, you know, hadn't lived through that or, or heard about it, they, they would think we're crazy when you're, right. you know, you used to go down and get, you know, our uniforms tailored to do specific things. Yep. You're like, what? And it's like, yep. yeah, nobody, like nobody did any of that stuff, oh, you yeah. know, it didn't exist. So, um, yeah. And then, yeah, uh, it was a, a lot of Velcro companies made a lot of money there at the, uh, Velcro <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. Tactical clothing type companies or whatever, you know, just moving some yep. patches around there and to see the evolution yep. of it all. And I kept all my gear and this is such a painful mm-hmm. story to even tell. I kept it from 97 all the way. Well, pre nineties. Yeah. Early 97. So I have my buds knife somewhere. It's over there in the corner, actually in a glass case and the rubber band around it has melted into the glass at this point. But, uh, I kept everything. So I had a history of gear, Naval Special Warfare gear from 97 up through 2016. I kept every boot. I kept every, uh, harness. I kept every single, uh, load bearing gear, equipment, all of that stuff. So I could see how it got light. It was heavy and mm-hmm. like, well, way overbuilt and then how it got lighter. And then I got to this. And when we moved from San Diego, I put it in oh. my friend's garage and he then got a divorce. It went to the mm-hmm. wife's house and then it, it, it anyway, like, all oh, of wow. Gone. All of it's gone. All that history is totally gone. And I, not totally. I kept my newer stuff, the stuff yeah. that I would still throw on today uh, to go get after it. But all that stuff that I had held on to just because I would, if in my head, I'd be like, okay, what did we use in 2003? Or what was I wearing in uh, in Ramadi? What was I wearing in Najaf? Which probably that comes in very handy uh, now with what you do, right? It does. It yeah. does. Now I have the photos, but I would love to be like, okay, photo. Uh, okay. This is Najaf 2004. Okay. I see the picture. I could go to a gear bag in the garage and pull it out and start messing with it and be like, ah, no way. That's what I was using back then. I can't believe we did that. Or I see how this evolved. 
but mm-hmm. all, most of all that stuff is gone now. Yeah, so I still bummed. have some stuff. I, I definitely have some stuff from my first command in the Philippines and a few pieces. I have a big, uh, my father made me a big wooden sea chest when oh, I nice. retired. And I, I've got all this stuff in there. And at some point, uh, I'm not ready yet, but at some point I'll go through all of yeah. it. But, you know, I, so various pieces over the years that, that had some sentimental value, like my very first pair of Vietnam era jungle boots I got oh, issued in the Philippines nice. and my greens, like I still have those. That's like, awesome. I don't know, I, probably by luck that I kept them, but, but yeah. I still have them and, you know, just stuff oh. like that. But, uh, yeah. So I don't even like to think about all the stuff that disappeared. Uh, I'm, I'm, I like to hold on to all that gear. Yeah. And, uh, no, for I had sure. my buds boots and like the side of, you can totally tell like the side of the boot is just totally worn down <laughs> from all that running. And so it shows how I, how I run, but I was going to bronze them one day, kind of like how you bronze little kids shoes. <laughs> yep, I wanted yep. to bronze them one day and now they're, now they're gone, but at least I have, a, I mean, I have a few things I have my knife and I think I have one set of one set of greens, maybe one brown t-shirt from after hell week and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I do have some stuff, but not nearly. What and it doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but no, you, right. No. But that, but that's the special part of it. It's that sentimental value. Um, yep. oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so painful. Oh, <laughs> but, uh, and so what was the, um, when did you get to that point where you're like, okay, uh, I've done what I can here in, in Kodiak. This has been a good run. And now it's time to now it's time to move on because you had a solid run there. And I mean, I can't think of anybody who had more of an influence on Naval Special Warfare, uh, mountaineering warfare tactics gear than, than you did during that time frame. Um, what was the, what did, what made you want to move on? I mean, you had a long run there, so it wasn't like you just did a couple of years and moved on. Like you were all in up there and yeah. it was awesome to see how things evolved and see your impact on the community. But, uh, but what, what was, uh, what, what moved you on to the next stage in life? I, I just think realizing that I, I had done everything I wanted to do and, yeah. and a lot more. Uh, we had just got done writing. Um, I forget what it was, like, but basically the TTPs for cold mm-hmm. weather warfare. Um, and, and, and quite frankly, I mean, at a certain point, you can't keep up with the young guys. Like I was able to keep up because my, my, uh, my skill set was so much higher that I could, I could rely on that. Um, but, you know, once I went past 40 and, 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 couple years past that, I just realized that not only was I, you know, kind of lost half a step, I'd done everything I wanted to do, but quite frankly, it was time for other people to kind of take the reins. And that's the only way things advance, right? Because if not, then it's going to be me and my mindset and this is the way we do it. Now I don't ever want to be that guy. And so I had to really put the ego in check and go, all right, it's time to move on. This, this was going to come to an end at some point anyways. I'd rather leave on my own terms than someone else's. Um, and so I really started to think about that. And I would tell you, if, you know, to be honest, uh, probably two years prior to me actually retiring and moving on, um, I, I knew I was, I was ready to go. Yeah. But I'm a person that wants to, you know, I definitely want to have a plan, oh, yeah. uh, at least a direction to go. And so that's kind of when I started saying, you know, what do I like to do? I wanted something I was going to be passionate about because mm-hmm. for 26 years, I'd been passionate about every single day waking up and the guys I work with. And I knew it wasn't yeah. going to be the same, but I wanted something that was kind of the civilian equivalent if I could get it. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted, uh, to work in an industry where people enjoyed themselves and, and kind of had, you know, some fun. And so hunting seemed, it was either hunting or the mountaineering Avenue. I wanted to go, um, hunting seemed to be the better fit for me at the time. And, uh, literally I remember sitting straight up in bed from a dead sleep at like two in the morning. And the thought went through my head, go to work for Sitka gear. Nice. I, I had no, I didn't know anybody there. I had no 
I had no, uh, nobody in the hunting industry I could reach out to and, and all of it. I just said, that's that, that is what I need to do. And, uh, so I just kind of, you know, starting to collect and get all my stuff in order to kind of drop my papers and leave. And, uh, I get a email from a guy at, at Gore. So the, the military side of Gore used to come up cause we were a schoolhouse and they would run things by us like, Hey, try this or Hey, try that. Or does this have any interest? And they had some really stupid stuff. (laughs) Um, some of it was good, but a lot of it was crazy. Like trying to swim in a, so imagine a dry suit, like our mass suit Uh with like a bunch of the, you know, like a Turkey suit with like Uh a bunch of, Oh geez. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, you guys want to put that on and go swim in the ocean? Like you're going to drown. Like this is a dumb idea. Anyways. (laughs) So one of those guys reached out and said, Hey, he had no idea I was retiring. Mm-hmm. He said, Hey, do you, uh, do you realize there's a job at Sitka and, and Gore was uh, Gore acquired Sitka. And he said, I think you'd be perfect for the job. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I applied and I'm like getting, I'm really getting close to my window of getting out, like within a couple months, mm-hmm. still nothing solid. I was going to move back to Salt Lake. I had a home there. I had some family there. So I had a fall, you know, that's where I was going. I knew that. And, uh, anyways, I go through the process, great interview. And they said, uh, they said, the answer is not no, it's just not now. Well, what I didn't realize was the job I was applying for, which was this big game product manager. Um, it it didn't exist until just a few months prior when they were restructuring the company. Mm. And so I was going to be the first one. And the person who I was kind of taking the reins from was the founder of the company, our mutual friend, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. So of course, try to fill those shoes. Right. Um, so that yeah. was kind of, so anyways, they went through this <clears throat> long deal. I end up, uh, I end up leaving Alaska, move to Salt Lake, get a job at beyond clothing with my dear friend, Rick Elder doing some really cool specialized stuff for mm-hmm. some you know different units. And I, and I was enjoying it, but it, I knew it was not going to be, you know, the ultimate thing I wanted to do. And, and sh- sure enough, uh, Sitka calls back or the hiring people call back and they're like, Hey, you know, you said to keep us on your short list and that you were, you know, always available to talk. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Well, the founder wants to talk to you, but you'd be willing to talk to him. So I talked to him. I was in Seattle at the time and there's going to be a backstory to this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyways, I talked to Jonathan on the phone and he's like, Hey man, we want to bring you out to Bozeman to interview. I go out there, uh, my first real job interview, like ever in my life. Right. <clears throat> so I show up there a big, like eight hour long interview process. I'm in the Bozeman airport drinking Willie's whiskey. Like it's going out of style. Wondering if I screwed it up and <laughs> my one chance to ever work for the company was gone, you know? And, uh, and Jonathan called me, you know, I'd been out of the office two hours and he called me, he said, do you really, do you really want this job? Like, you really know what you're getting yourself into? And I said, I want the job. I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. And he goes, fair enough. And so that's how, you know, basically I got the job. Well, what I didn't realize, Jack, is that you and Jonathan are friends. And the way Jonathan tells the story anyways, that you and he are riding a chairlift out of probably Tahoe somewhere, Squaw. Yeah, uh, Squaw. I think we're Alpine because Squaw might have been. Anyway, Squaw or Alpine. I think it was Alpine that day. But. And I don't know if you asked the question or however my name came up and yeah. Jonathan realized that you and I knew each other and we had worked together. And that's literally what got me 
the phone call with Jonathan and ultimately the job. So I owe you oh. my job <laughs> and my, ne- my, my current career. Seriously. It's oh, all man. about who, you know, right. And, and as you know, like in, in our previous world, and I would say even in life now in general for everybody, like reputation is everything hard to get easy to lose. Um, but no, I, I owe you that. And I uh-huh. think I've told you that story before, yeah. but I'm like, you've got to be kidding me how all this, you know, comes together. So yeah, I've been doing that almost seven years now. And, uh, oh, so yeah. cool. No, I remember and, it so and, well. And loving and, uh, it. I remember that so well, cause I, I built up all <laughs> this leave up until through my last deployment to, uh, to, uh, to Iraq. And that would be the last one that I would actually tactically maneuver guys on the battlefield. And after that, as my troop commander tour, and after that, you know, it's uh, it's admin. And for those listening, like, yeah, it sounds very impressive. You weren't too psyched about that. <laughs> I was not. I, I, uh, I remember you weren't too psyched about that. <laughs> and I was lucky that I had those enlisted years because uh, I was creeping up on 20 at the time anyway. Um, so same thing as with you. I had that couple of years to take a breath, to look around, to, to study, think about transition, figure out that, hey, uh, aligning passion and mission together in the post-military chapter of life is uh, of vital importance uh, and maybe something you should put some thought into. Uh, and so, so, I, so I was very lucky that I had that, that time to do that. But point being, I had accumulated quite a few days of leave over the previous uh, 17, 18 years. And I started taking that when I got to, uh, to Bud's and as, uh, as the, uh, the COO and, and, uh, started taking that leave with my family because the pendulum was on the side of the team for all those other years. Yeah. And I decided to get back, uh, to, that I was going to get out and move on and pursue this passion for, for writing this next dream. And so I started taking leave and started going to the mountains with the kids and meeting up with Jonathan up in Tahoe and that sort of thing. So yeah, I remember distinctly we were on the chairlift. I met him at, uh, I think it was, I think squaw was closed for some reason or for whatever reason we ended up going to Alpine and, uh, and we're on that chairlift and we're just talking about uh, transition and future and how things are going at Sitka and what I'm thinking about as I get ready to get out and all that sort of thing. And, uh, he's like, Hey, do you know this, this, uh, John Barklow guy? Uh, and I was like, what? <laughs> uh, and he's like, yeah, I, we're, we're thinking about him for a position and something along those lines. And I was like, snatch that guy up right now. Like, like right this very I, second, I do not that. let him go. I totally, I distinctly remember that. And, uh, uh, but that was super cool. Cause I don't know if you remember, but you gave, gave me my, uh, my physical training test for OCS. No. <laughs> yep. Yep. I think I still have pro I, cause I saved all that paperwork. So I think I still have your signature on a, uh, oh, that's awesome. pull up. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, it's uh, so I think I still have that paperwork cause I saved all my, uh, those like recommendations for OCS and all those other things, paperwork you have to fill out all the tests and all that stuff. So I think I have it cause I saved it to give to other guys that were getting ready to, to go yeah, yeah. thinking about it so yeah. as, a, as a model for them. And, uh, so yeah, you gave me my test for, uh, no for officer way. candidate school. Yep. Well, what's Absolutely. so funny about that is I, I remember, I remember a few guys, but I remember distinctly you and Andy, uh, checking into team five, right? Cause it was this I mean, the old nostalgic days, what was it, it used to be UDT 21? Yeah. In the, that yep. big grinder in the middle, right? Yep. But I remember you coming around, probably just getting signatures, checking into diving or whatever. And uh, for whatever reason, like I, I was, I was so impressed, even though you were new to the Navy, you weren't young. Uh, and I think you were probably, were you, were you in four then? 23-ish probably when I got there, I was 22 and bud. So yeah, probably 23-ish. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Were you in E4 or E5 or e- something like three coming in the door. Maybe you got E4 after buds. If I was an E4, it was like, they yeah. just put it on to walk. Across I, the street. I could just tell you were so much more mature than, than either your rank or your, your time and service. Right. And so 
yeah, I was just always impressed by that. And it stuck in my mind. And then, you know, of course, who, who knew where this would lead? Um, but the other guy was Andy, right? And I've told Andy this, but so you, you're kind of like this, you know, reserved, serious, mature guy. And I remember Andy like <laughs> blowing onto the, onto the grinder at team five with like his hair on fire and like shorts on and, and just going, he had just gotten a uh, free fall qualled, right. Civilian wise. And he wanted everybody to go jumping. He's like, Hey, want to go jump? Want to go jump? Want to go jump? And he was just <laughs> he like, a lot this, of energy. Oh my God, a lot of energy. And like, in my mind, I remember that, but, but you and him, like, you know, uh, side by side, were like so different, but you know, we all, <laughs> like yin up, and yang. <laughs> we all ended up in the same place. Yeah. Uh, we're definitely like yin and yang. He was the youngest guy in our, uh, our buds class going through. Yeah. Right. Week, so but, the, uh, the total dichotomy between you and him, but uh, yeah, no, I had no, no it's I, true. I had no idea. I'd, I had helped you on your way to become an officer. I don't know if I'm proud of that or not. But. I know it's a tough one too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that was of course, pre nine 11 day, right before nine yeah, 11. Yeah, it was, yeah. uh, the fall, no, the, sorry, the, the spring or late winter of 2001. And really had 9-11 happened in December of 2020 or January 2020. Or, or, You'd have or, never gone down January, that yeah, path. Yeah, probably huh? would not have gone yeah. to OCS. Yeah. But uh, you probably remember some of the leadership that I had in my uh, first couple of platoons there that left a tad bit to be desired. Um, yeah. So rather than yeah. just complaining about it, uh, you know, as part of the E5 mafia, I decided, uh, okay, I can either do that or I can uh, go and try to do it better than it was done. Yeah, but me, those so. those years really helped you to, uh, to you know, for the bulk of your career to be, to be, you know, forward deployed on the front line with the guys. Um, you know, it's oh, just yeah. that kind of tail end piece that, you know, yeah, we all probably have to do at some point in our career, but, uh, yeah, you were able to work that pretty, pretty well. It was, you know, it was a good time to be there cause you got to see how things were before that, that golden yeah. context box opened before you got that golden mm-hmm. credit card, um, uh, before maybe a little entitlement creeped in, uh, when you had to buy your own gear, you had to make your own gear, you made your own ghillie suit, you sewed your own patches on the side, or if you couldn't, then you paid somebody in beer in the, yep. you know, uh, in the airlock to do it, to do it for you. <laughs> um, so yeah, those days were, were a little different, but I wouldn't trade them for anything. They were, they were amazing. Yeah. It was a cool time to, you know, to be in and to be scrapping and, uh, to be figuring things out. And then, you know, you had some sort of a base when nine 11 hit because, Really, the only guys with experience when 9-11 hit were people that maybe did a couple of things in Bosnia, uh, guys that had been in Mogadishu, these flashpoints, but mm-hmm. not sustained combat operations, which is why we still had most of the gear from Vietnam, because that yep. was the last time that they'd done sustained combat operations. And uh, we just picked up those tactics. And what did we do? We dropped the jungle tactics from Vietnam in the mountains for training. We dropped it in the desert. In the we desert. It yep. In urban warfare uh, training scenarios. Uh, and then after 9-11, then we got to see how different really things were in the mountains, in cities, uh, different places. And you got to, had to adapt very quickly, which we, you know, we proved we could, we could do quite, quite well by necessity. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just have to do that. Yeah. But like but, I uh, said, the, the mindset, the culture of that community is always such that, um, you may not do it all the time, but, but it's always there. And when you have to do it, it can be turned on very quick. You know, it's like, exactly. you don't want to live in the other, but but, but when you turn it on and you are adaptive, like, oh, yeah. it, it's a great, it's a great uh, place to be, you know, when that's happening. Oh yeah. There's a lot of opportunity there. As, a lot uh, of opportunity. As you saw, as, as, as we all saw that, saw that. Uh, so, so I often wonder what it's like now for people coming in that now have essentially this 20 years of adaptation, this 20 years of gear development, of, uh, of tactics development and tweaking things here and there and refinement and, and all the rest of it, what it's like to come in as a, uh, as a new guy today, rather than to have been uh, a part of that evolution where it's happening so quickly. 
Um, and especially yeah. as we're pulling out of places like Afghanistan, obviously Iraq and, and places like that. So it'd be an interesting time to be in, especially with the the rise of, of social media and people coming in um, that are very comfortable with sharing quite a bit of their personal lives uh, with the world. Because um, for us, when Facebook came out or remember MySpace even first, it was like, what the like this, this isn't good. But now if you don't have some sort of a backstory in social media and the virtual space, now that's the red flag for foreign intelligence services when they're looking at people doing mm-hmm. some things, maybe on the darker side of special operations. So it's a very interesting time to, to be in, but I'm, I'm I don't uh, think any of us had those accounts. I mean, until no. we were well after we were retired. Well, after, I mean, right before I started, right before the first book came out, I was like, looked yeah. at it just like I did at the battlefield. And I was like, okay, what, uh, you know, what can I do now that an author couldn't have done in 1975, 85 or 95? Oh, I need to look at this Instagram thing. I need to look at this Twitter thing. I need to build out a yeah. website. I need to build out a newsletter. I need to do some things that help support uh, this uh, this product, which is the book. Um, but yeah. I need all these supporting efforts. If we're talking in military terms, all these supporting efforts to get the word out and build out a readership that allows me to do what I love doing, which is the writing piece. So yeah, um, yeah. But I love learning new things. So it's great to be able to do do this and and do all those other things as well. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, my concern about the gear is. Um, is that you know the, the the government in general and its infinite wisdom? I mean, it, you you can see this this sine wave, mm-hmm. you know. So I I came in and like I said, late '80s, we still had Vietnam era gear. There was that little blip of, uh, you know, the first Gulf War. I got to go over there, um, nice. come back, and then I Where'd remember you guys that over there. We were just sitting there, kind of as a search and rescue asset. Okay. Um, yeah, just you know, it it happened so quick. I yeah. got some really good stories for another time, but. Uh, but yeah, just a carrier be, for that? Or you no, a, no, no, no. We were on land. No, we were on okay. land. And, and because we were just kind of like that out there in the Pacific, they're like, hey, just launch six guys, get them there. This thing's going to happen. Nice. And we just need some assets. Oh, so cool. yeah, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a fun time. But, uh, but, you know, I remember, uh, you know, the leadership getting us together, which I said is basically was a bunch of eights and nines. And at this point, there were probably six of us young guys, maybe seven, something like yeah. that. And they said, you know, uh, administration's changing, you know, the war's over, uh, things are going to get rough, you know, funding's going to get cut, mm. but if you, if you stay around long enough, it'll come back. Right. Which it did. Um, and then it came back again, even bigger with, with after nine 11. Um, but you know, and I don't stay in, I don't keep my finger on the pulse of it anymore, uh, partly as a survival mechanism and partly cause you know, Hey, I'm the old guy. Nobody wants to talk to me, but, <laughs> uh, but my concern is like, you know, I've already seen some of the gear start to drop off some mm-hmm. of the, some of the training and capabilities start to drop off. I mean, there's capabilities that we obviously didn't, uh, leverage that we probably need to go back to, but, mm-hmm. but they just, it's, it's like an all or none thing sometimes in the military. And, you know, yeah. it's like, okay, well, wherever the next conflict is, you know, we're going to have to kind of do the same thing that, that, that we had to do, which is, you know, hopefully we're not as far in the basement, but we're still going to have to come back. We're going to have to work on the training. We have to work on the gear. Um, and, and, you know, it's just sad to see sometimes, but it's like, listen, I, you know, I, I did my part. We did our part, you know, unfortunately it's fortunately or for, unfortunately it's somebody else's opportunity now yeah. to, to kind of take the ball and run with it. But, uh, yeah. but it was amazing to see the, the change from, you know, 88 to, you know, 2000, whatever, 14, like it was yeah. just absolutely dramatic, um, and, and needed to be done. I just hope it doesn't have to be done in such drastic right. form again in the future, you know? Right. 
Yeah, I guess time will tell, but yeah, torch yeah. has been passed. But now you're working on all this awesome stuff at Sitka. So so you get in the door at Sitka and uh-huh. you start working on products and you don't see them really come to fruition for how long does it take to go through uh, that whole process? It took like about two year, and a half year. years okay. since I got, yeah. Well, yeah, about two and a half years when I got, I got there in January, 2015, I think our products launched in, uh, you know, just say June, July of 2017. So, um, which, I mean, those two years were like killing me. Right. But, uh, all all I tried to do is take everything I knew and had learned and applied and seen work and understood and tried to apply it to the hunting industry. Because interestingly enough, just like I said, the military was kind of behind the times, Mm -hmm. uh, from the outdoor industry. The, the hunting industry at large, um, except for Sitka, which was kind of this innovator at the time of yeah. bringing like mountaineering quality clothing, you know, to what we'll call mountain hunting. Um, but, but as a, as a general rule, the market, the hunting market was, I mean, they were at least 10 years behind the outdoor industry. Yeah. And again, the mindset and the understanding, the education yeah. and the, all that stuff. And so that was why I wanted to work for them. Cause it was the perfect, it was the perfect synergy for me. And so I just tried to do the same thing. You know, I'd worked on some uh, what did we call it? Um, oh, geez, I'm going to forget, but like the camo, uh, uh, personal signature management. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I was like, Hey, we, we need to develop a new camouflage for big game hunting. And I've got this knowledge. I have some, you know, let's apply it. Let's tweak it. Um, so anyways, that's what I've been able to do is, and I'd like to think that, uh, you know, I've kept, I'd like to say at this point, um, that sick has allowed me and the, and the company has allowed itself to not only keep up with the outdoor market, but in my opinion, uh, with some of the things we've done technology wise and some of the designs we have pushed past, uh, even some of the highest, uh, performing outdoor, uh, brands in the market. So, you know, I compare myself to like an Arcteryx or, or a Patagonia. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to think that we are neck and neck. And sometimes I do a little better in some things, uh, and get technology first. And sometimes they come back, but I, but I think we've, we've elevated ourselves to the highest oh, yeah. level at Sitka uh, of the outdoor industry as a whole. Yeah, no, actually, I remember talking to Jonathan, oh gosh, you're high school, talking about that sort of thing, talking about how that, uh, why is our, why is my my uh, my Patagonia, my Arcteryx, my North Face at the time back then, like what, like why is that so much different than the stuff I get at Cabela's that just has a mm-hmm. different, just a different color, essentially. Right. Uh, so talking about that for years, and then he's the, you know, he's the guy that that did it and and uh, and made it happen. Um, and I love it when you like, like testing out those lightweight pants when I went to Africa, that was yeah. awesome. The I love doing pants, that stuff. Yeah. So cool. Um, and, uh, you know, it's so, it's very cool to ha- have now this, like I was talking about having all that gear from the military. Well, knowing Jonathan, my whole life, we went to high school together and being friends for all this time. Like I have this history of Sitka gear now, like it looks like if you go outside here into, <laughs> into, into our closet, into the garage, it's like a Sitka store exploded. You know, there's just stuff everywhere. And, yeah. uh, you know, the early stuff, you know, stuff, all these different patterns and all this, it's, it's the hardest part is finding the right piece, you know, cause there's so much to go through. I'm like, ah, where's that thing? And, and, yeah, uh, exactly. and I love it. You know, I love that, that you guys are, uh, are up there and you're with the biggest dogs in the outdoor industry. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, and pushing the envelope at all times. And, uh, it's, it's fantastic. I love seeing it. I, I love that you were there doing this it makes me, it gets me so fired up. <laughs> and, uh, and then now you've kind of, you've embraced some social media as of late you are out there. You have your, it, it took a while. I mean, it took a little bit of time. Uh, and you had one picture with a cat on it for about four years, I think. I did. Um, yep. And, uh, <laughs> you may have been, you may have had the most 
followers with one like one photo up with there with one photo everybody. yeah uh but now you actually have a channel where you're putting out uh information and you're talking about these um different things as far as survival and travel in the backcountry and and uh layering systems and all this sort of thing what um uh, so what made you decide to finally embrace that and do that? And where can, where can people find that? Yeah. So I'll just say that, um, uh, so some things happen in the market. Um, some, some, uh, some brands were, we're talking about some things, uh, some of which, um, were things that you and I had worked for or with in, in the military mm-hmm. and they were bastardizing some stuff and, and, mm-hmm. and the bastardization of it was okay but I felt that the, the information and education they were putting out there was dangerous to the consumer because the people that were putting out the information actually didn't understand what they were saying. They were just mimicking. Right. And so mimicry can be not a great thing if there's no foundation to that knowledge. And so, uh, you know, kind of like what I said, where the, the gear in the hunting industry was kind of 10 years behind. Well, uh, unfortunately that the education and the information in the hunting industry is also 10 years behind. So, you know, you and I have talked, you know, we, we grew up, we're, we're backpacking, um, we're hunting, we're going out there and trying to figure these things out. Uh, you know, we're going on Knowles courses and all mm-hmm. these things to build this, uh, this, this base of what I'll call just, uh, foundational knowledge. Right. So, yeah. um, when, when we choose to go into the military and now you're applying tactics, you're going to go into the field and, and learn how to hunt a bull elk. Like you've already got the care and feeding side down, but that doesn't really exist anymore because of social media. Everybody wants to go right to the hunting of the elk or right into the teams and go into the mountains in Afghanistan, but they don't understand that you need all this other stuff. Yeah. And this other stuff is really what makes you competent and capable and deadly, uh, in, in either the military or hunting application. Yeah. So anyways, I, I just realized that I could either go home and be pissed off about it, or I could finally, you know, sack up and stop being a wuss and put myself out there because I, I missed teaching. I realized I missed, I missed teaching. I missed, I missed a lot of things about the military, but, but the communicating of information and seeing people take that and run with it. Uh, as much as I was doing great things at Sitka, that part of my life was kind of missing. Okay. So, uh, you know, I talked to you and, uh, you know, you gave me some great advice. And so I started this, uh, you know, an Instagram page or I had an Instagram page with the cat photo. And basically <laughs> what the Instagram is all about is just trying to communicate, uh, information, right? So it's called knowledge from storms, which is, you know, all these, all these difficult times that, that we experience in the, in the, uh, you know, in the mountains, in the wilderness, in the backcountry, are great learning opportunities. You know, and you and I are very well versed in you know writing down our lessons learned, doing hot washes immediately after coming back. You know, doing debriefs. Uh, but but the the hunting industry is not. But but they're doing similar things, right? They're going out there. They're putting themselves eight ten miles in the wilderness. They're going out there in inclement weather. So you know, trying to basically take the things that, that I used to teach and, and applying them and, and, and providing them to the hunting community to try to make them more capable and competent. Um, and it's not just the hunting community, it's anybody. It could be, it could be Boy Scouts. It could be a backcountry skier. It could be a, mm-hmm. a, you know, a person who wants to learn to backpack. But the, 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 the lack of information that's out there that's really based on solid foundation of, of experience and skills. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, that feedback loop of, not just having the information, but understanding how to convey it to somebody in a meaningful way or give them three different ways that, you know, one of them may, may, uh, you know, spark, 
uh, with them because they learn a different way. Like, you know, being coming at it from an educational perspective yeah. really didn't exist. Uh, so anyways, that, that's what I've been doing. And I said, I'm going to do it for a year. So I basically, uh, it, it kind of evolved, but I basically do a video a week. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it evolved where I said, I do it for a year. And after that year, if I liked it mm-hmm. and the, the community of people that followed liked it, then I would continue to do it. But I always, because it's my platform, I reserve the right to quit at any time I want. Right. So that was kind of my, that was kind of my right. emotional out. Um, so it, it's, it's been past a year. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you that, you know, the conversations that we've had about this, um, you know, I, I definitely took the heart um, within the next, probably by the end of July. So within the next two weeks, uh, I'm getting ready to uh, launch my website, Knowledge from Storms. That was my next question. Um, Yep. So Knowledge from Storms is going to launch. The landing page is up right now. Um, nice. This is the official announcement of that. Um, awesome. and, I, and I, again, I give you the credit for that, oh, but no, no. Um, so it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be o- online education. Um, I, I don't know where it's going to go. I have, I have a lot of ideas. I've got a lot of things in the work. I have to balance a full-time job. Right. Um, but I, I got to tell you in the last year and a half that I've been doing this, um, I've felt, uh, you know, more alive and, and, and more energized and this kind of, uh, the creator side of it. So, which yeah. obviously you understand, you know, listening to you and Steven Pressfield and reading all his books and, and listening to some things, you know, the, the, the war of art and all that, mm-hmm. it, it, I've really embraced it. And so, uh, you know, I've got a lot of articles that'll be on the website, some of these podcasts, uh, a awesome. bunch of videos that I've created. There's a YouTube channel that's going to launch when the, uh, when the website launches, and then we'll just see what, what follows after that. But, uh, but some really cool things that, that I've got, you know, in mind and in the works and have working with some other people. Uh, awesome. but again, I, I give you all the credit for that because oh, no. I probably yeah. wouldn't have, maybe I'd have had the idea maybe, but I definitely would have been pushed. Like you said, Hey, if you're going to do this and we know this to be true, but if you're going to do it, do it the right way, go all in, commit to it. And, uh, and, and that's what I've done. So I'm really excited. The website looks, man, I think it looks nice. badass. I look, awesome. I, I didn't know looks, there was a, I didn't know there was a landing page up. I'm going to check it out. Right yeah. After well, this. literally the landing page launched today. Uh, cause oh, nice. I knew I was going to be talking to you and I, I don't know when this, uh, you know, uh, will, will, will air, but I wanted to make sure that kind of had my ducks in a row. You know, I got nice. videos uploading to YouTube right now. Awesome. Uh, you know, I've been working on this book for, Oh, I don't know, seven years. And I, I've started to stop calling it a book and call it a manual because I've I don't want to yeah. give too much away, but I've got this idea in my head of what this thing can be that uh at least in this space, I don't I've never seen I've never seen this type of format before. So I'm gonna keep working on that. But uh but the website will be a way to to you know to uh communicate in a longer format, um, give a lot more detail than I can on Instagram. Uh, no. You know, Instagram limits me to 15 minutes. I'm obviously mm-hmm. long-winded. I, I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. I want to. I truly want to get the information out there to people and help them. So it, it's been awesome, and I, so I can't cool. wait for this uh, for this website to launch. So uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of what I've been doing, running parallel to uh, to my quote day job. And and yeah. really, uh, you know, COVID was covid was an opportunity for me to do that and i, I know mm-hmm. a lot of people have suffered because of it but for me personally uh it was one of the best things that happened in my life in the sense that uh i was told to work from home um i'm a disciplined enough person that that i can do that mm-hmm. um but it also gave me 
what I would tell you, Jack, is the best work-life balance I've ever had in my life. So I'm going to be married 30 years in September to Jules. Uh, we've gone through a lot of craziness, you know, being both in the military. Um, but, uh, but, you know, being able to, to be a little bit more around her, because I, I, I just pour myself into my work. It becomes my life, but you know, she's my life and being able to have that all together where, Hey, I can go for a walk with the dogs and then I can go do a workout. No, I jump into meetings and I'm on meetings till nine o'clock. Cause I talk to Asia a lot, or I'm up at five in the mornings for meeting, but it also gave me opportunity to pursue this other thing that I might not have carved out the time to do. Um, had I not been kind of, we've all been kind of forced into this new way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to come out of COVID and, and not say, well, hey, I just wasted the last year, year and a half. Right. I wanted to come out ahead. I wanted to yeah. come out farther ahead than I would have been if I hadn't done things. So, you know, a lot of other things I've been doing, but I'm really excited about this, as you can tell, uh, give you a lot of credit. Uh, and, and I'm super psyched because the, the response has been very positive. And I hope awesome. that that can just continue and I can continue to, you know, create a movement where uh, you know, these people, if they want to start because of social media at a higher level on the rung of the ladder, that, that I can help them get there, uh, and maybe not start, you know, where you and I started kind of in the basement, you know? Awesome. That is, I'm so fired up. I'm going to check out the landing page after this and it'll probably, you know, come out in a couple of weeks, but I'm going to check that out. And then is, is it still, uh, Instagram still the same? Is it Jay Barklow? Is that what it is? Yeah. So it'll stay Jay Barklow for a little while longer. I'll eventually transfer it over knowledge from storms, but right now okay. it's, uh, it's still Jay Barclow because my name's somewhat recognizable and searchable. Yep. Yep. So, and then is that the symbol for it? I saw that icon. Yeah. So this is, yeah. Now. So I got a logo. Um, yeah. So this is, this is the logo for knowledge from nice. storms. Um, we're going to have some, you know, hats, t-shirts, things like that. Yeah. I, I was up talking to our friend Andy uh, nice. a couple weeks ago to just to see how he's been doing things, but, uh, yeah. it, it's been exciting. And honestly, I never, you know, just once again, have kind of surprised myself and like, you know, never saw myself doing this. Yeah. Never saw, you know, my brother, he likes to bust my balls sometimes. And he's a doctor and he says, Hey, you know, how's life in the fashion industry? And, you know, I, I, <laughs> I laugh, but if you'd have told me 10 years ago that, you know, I'd know as much about fabrics and thread manufacturing yeah. as I do, I'd have told you no, but being able to apply it in this cool way oh, yeah. in the hunting industry for Sitka, it's like, I don't know. It just seemed so like a awesome. natural, again, moving in that direction, knowing kind of what you want, not knowing all the details, but, mm-hmm. but n- just moving action forward motion, yeah. uh, it, you know, will get you at least for me has gotten me, uh, with a lot of luck and, and definitely some good mentors have gotten me this far. So, so awesome. So I've been wanting you to write a book for the longest time and I'm so <laughs> excited that it's, uh, that it's progressing, but, uh, awesome to have that tied into to a website, tied into these different social media platforms and to be able to share, that knowledge, uh, with the, uh, I guess the, the widest audience possible is amazing. And I love when I go on, when I see you do your, your 15 minute, uh, instructional videos, sharing knowledge on, on Instagram. I love it. Cause it, it, for me, I get just, I have so many things going on. Uh, but, and what I love doing is going to the back country and doing these things. And for me, I, it's like, Oh, I can use that in a book or, Oh, I can use that on my next hunt or geez, I awesome. totally forgot about that. Um, I really need to remember that the next time I'm up in Alaska or whatever, whatever it is. Um, just because, you know, that isn't my, my industry. It's my, it's part of my passion and part of what I've always loved and what I incorporated in my novels and into my life. But, uh, but I need to keep moving forward as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so seeing you do those, I'm always like, Oh man, that is so awesome. So I love 
though. So highly encourage everybody to do that and then visit the land, check out the Instagram and hit the landing page and stay on top of things, especially when that, uh, when the book comes out or whatever else you have going on comes out. Cause, uh, well, that's why I wrote the do. book. I, I originally wrote it cause I didn't want to forget everything I knew. Yeah. I didn't know what I'd be doing in the future. Right. So I was like, if I don't, if I don't document it now and I look back and I'm like, man, did I really do that? But if I did, hadn't done that and had the timestamp on it and now been able to progress those things, right. And always advance, but, but that's why I did it kind of as a a written record. Oh, so awesome. I'm so fired up and I'm also super fired up because so sick is obviously in my, in my novels. And if people flip to the acknowledgements, they'll see your name in, in, uh, in all of the books, but, uh, it's really cool to see as they film the series for Amazon that, uh, what I don't want to give too much away, but, uh, uh, Sitka's uh, in every book, and it would make sense that it's also in the series. So I'm super excited. I cannot to see, wait for that series uh, yeah. to come out. I cannot <laughs> so wait. Far. I mean, I'm so far with all on. the people that I see continuing to kind of be participants and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and kind of help out. I mean, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be incredible. It yeah, can't not be incredible. Doing a good job. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, who knows what happens when they get to editing or whatever else. But right now, it's looking really good. But I'm super excited for you, uh, for Jonathan, to see Sitka up there in uh, in a couple different ways. So I guess I'll leave it at that. So not just like a camouflage pattern worn once. There's a little more more in there as well. So um, yeah, so that'll be really cool for for you to see that, for Jonathan to see that, and uh, you know, for people in the in uh, that go out into the backcountry to see that as well. So yeah. I'm, I'm super fired up for that, but man, thank you so much for, uh, uh, well, for being you, for taking <laughs> the time to do this and for taking that next step to share that knowledge with everybody else out there, because there are a few people that, uh, have had the experiences that you have that have, uh, have had this background with these, uh, the, these layering systems and, and being able to take like that technical knowledge and then actually apply it to personal experience, test it out themselves and come up and then tweak it and then share it. Like it's, it's awesome. It's, it, it's, uh, it's awesome. As you can tell, I'm a huge fan of you and all that you have going on. And, uh, man, I want to thank you for your, your friendship over the years for, uh, for getting me into OCS. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got to put that on my resume. I had no idea if you wouldn't have said that, but, uh, but no, thank you as well. Like I said, you know, I, I owe you a lot. What, what's been fun is, uh, you know, in the military, you, you're, you're kind of forced to work together, so to speak. You know, you don't get to necessarily pick all the people you work with. But as, you know, all of us have kind of come to our, our tenure and, and, and we've uh, retired, that, that the gravitational pull is bringing together uh, these like-minded individuals, you know, like you, myself, Andy. Um, and it's, and it's really cool to see this next chapter in my life. I'm, I'm stoked on what you're doing. Uh, it's been unbelievable and I can't wait to see this mini series. Oh, thanks brother. Thank you so much. And, yeah. uh, I wish I was going to see you at TAC or at, uh, up at Sitka and Bozeman, but I'm going to be locked down. I think, uh, writing Understood. this, uh, this Understood. next novel, but, uh, it sounds like will, you have the, the title for it already though. Right? Got the title in the blood. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a good one. I've wanted to explore this, uh, this theme for a while. So it's going to, it's a, uh, a sniper on sniper, but with, uh, with little technology and some, um, uh, some modern day, uh, I guess the best way to describe it, uh, cyber monitoring of populace, uh, is, uh, is kind of incorporated in as well. So anyway, awesome. uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to get that going, but, uh, but hopefully I'll see you soon. Hopefully we'll get back up yes. there to Bozeman, uh, and, uh, and say hello to you up there or see, uh, see in the mountains and we got to get out and hunt together soon. I have one coming up this, uh, this, uh, September going to the Wrangles in Alaska. Oh, nice. Uh, for moose sheep. up there. Oh, moose. moose. Okay. Yeah. 
moose awesome. this time. Um, so I'll be touching base with you for sure before then, just to make sure that, uh, I have all my stuff squared away, all my sick of gear squared away. If there's anything else you want me to test up there, you know, oh, I got some stuff. Yep. I oh, got nice. some stuff. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So yeah, I think that's early September, but, uh, yeah, man, hopefully like we can get uh, a field together soon. Hopefully. Awesome yeah. brother. Well, Thank hey, you. Thanks Jack. for everything. And, right. uh, take care, man. Welcome to the gear highlight portion the Danger Close podcast. All right, since my guest today was John Barklow, the big game product manager at Sitka, I figured it would be appropriate to talk about some Sitka gear. Now, Sitka gear, it's if you followed me for a while on Instagram or uh, any of the social channels and have read any of the novels, uh, you'll know that I'm a big fan of Sitka gear. I'm also a big fan and admirer of any company that changes an industry, really moves the ball forward. And there is no doubt that Sitka is that kind of a company. And uh, also helps that I grew up with Jonathan Hart, who uh, founded Sitka and to be have, have been a part of it from the outside looking in from the inception of the idea all the way through today is so cool to see the evolution of the idea uh, of the brand, of the products. Um, so can't say enough good things about, uh, about Jonathan Hart, about John Barclow, about Sitka as a brand and what they've done for the hunting industry and now what they are doing for uh, clothing in extreme environments in general, not just as it relates to hunting. So um, a couple, I'll cover a couple of things. This, I think they call this the Bino Bivy. So this thing, I've been using this for, gosh, years now since it first came out. Got the Swarovskis in here. These are the uh, the 10 by 42s that have the, the rangefinder in there. So that's super helpful. Um, been using these forever. Love this. Love this thing right here. And then this is the new one. So I haven't had a chance to use this one yet, but I'll be using this in September. And I think they call this the Bino, uh, Mountain Bino Optics Harness or something along those lines. But uh, it, this is the evolution, once again, evolution uh, of the Bino Harness. So I'll be testing this out uh, in Alaska in September, but very cool. We getting that all set up soon. This here, Sitka Pattern. See that? Bam. Yeah, Sitka Pattern Bow. This is the uh, P-S-E-N-V-N-E-N-T-N-N-T-N-E-V-O-33. That's it. But uh, yeah, this thing is sweet. John Dudley built this thing up for me, uh, and this thing is awesome. And of course, John made this one in Sitka Pattern because of that history. So uh, very cool. Thank you, John Dudley, for building that up at Knock On. And of course, everybody at Sitka. Freaking awesome. This pack right here, this is, I think this is the Ascent 12. It's kind of hard to keep all the products straight because it does look like a Sitka store or factory exploded in our home uh, and in the garage in particular. But I think this is the Ascent 12. Love this thing. Uh, kind of a day pack. So well thought out. This thing is awesome. Love this. And then my day pack, uh, as far as go riding travel, is the Drifter. So this is like, I guess, a lifestyle backpack, I guess you call it. But um, yeah. Love this backpack. This thing is with me every day as I go to write or I'm traveling or whatever else. So these are awesome. And then the Drifter series of duffel bags. Uh, the only reason I don't have one right now is because the kids have taken them to camps this summer. And uh, those are great. I'm a huge fan of those Drifter duffel bags. So awesome. And uh, yeah, sick of gear. There's probably a, there's not a day that goes by that I don't have some sort of a touch point with, uh, with Sitka. So um, and wearing this t-shirt, these pants right here. I don't even know the kind these are, but I love these Sika pants and uh, everything else they have going on. So this right here, I know I've talked about this, I think in another gear highlight video, but this right here is the new 
sleeping bag and look at that packaging. Can you see that? My wife thought they were just sending me some cardboard boxes. But yeah, this is the new sleeping bag right here. And once again, I think I'm going to be trying this out in Alaska in September as well. So very cool. So Sitka, thank you guys for everything and uh, keep crushing. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, Ironclad Original, presented by Six Hour. You can find John Barklow on Instagram at J-B-A-R-K-L-O-W. So that's at J Barklow. And then you can check out his new website, knowledgefromstorms.com and check out all that he has going on there. I am at, at Jack Carr USA. And if you liked our conversation, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review to help counter some of those big tech algorithms. So until the next time, take care out there. Keep fighting. And a special thank you to Schnee's. I've been using Schnee's boots for over a decade now. As you can tell, for these ones right here, they're just my favorites. These are the granites. I think every hunter should have a pair of these in their quiver. But these guys right here, these are the ones that I wear when I'm going into the backcountry and hope to come out heavier than when I went in. So uh, right here, Granite's awesome boot. Absolutely love these. You can see these have been worn quite a bit. These are just some of my other favorites right here. So these are the Hunter 2s. These are, I would wear these all day, every day if I if I could, but uh, um, amazing boot. Love everything they have going on over there at Schnee's. So be sure to check them out. I have some new boots now. I think I have uh, 10 pair right now. My wife has a pair uh, and then I just got a couple new pairs. And right here, these are the Beartooth. I've wanted these for a while. So super excited about trying out the Beartooths. That'll happen this summer and fall. And then the Kestrels right here. So those are a couple new pairs that I have in the arsenal that I'm looking forward to checking out here soon. So if you haven't heard of Schnee's, check them out online, check out their story, check out their Instagram, the boots they make in an Italian boot factory. So those are handmade in Italy. The only place you can get them is through Schnee's directly to you. So you're getting more boot for your money. And uh, every part of these things, uh, you can just tell how much care and how much time, energy, and effort goes into these boots right here. And what's also great about Schnee's is that you can go visit them in Bozeman, or you can give them a call and tell them about uh, where you're going to hunt, what you're doing, and uh, they can make some recommendations for you right there on the phone. So Schnee's, thank you so much. And I'm going to read this part because you get 10% off. Uh, so I don't want to mess this part up. When you shop at Schnee's, and that is S-C-H-N-E-E-S Dot com. Make sure you use the promo code Jack21, J-A-C-K-2-1. When you do, you'll save 10% off your pair of Schnee's boots and logo wear. These handmade hunting boots usually sell out fast, so grab your pair today. Take care of your feet. Don't compromise. Upgrade to Schnee's. Again, that's Schnee's, S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com and promo code Jack21. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original. 
Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot. Like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you... do you fit in? Exactly, Which box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy exactly. or right. Right. An How, uh, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm-hmm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.